Okay, uh, so I try to start these off with a question to kind of give people a little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, but so the question is, what would if people had to describe you, what would be the one word they would use? Welcome to another episode of Paris, Texas, a podcast. This podcast is brought to you by South Main Iron. If you have not had a chance to go check those guys out downtown Paris, Texas, go check them out. And thank you guys so much for sponsoring this podcast. Enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Yeah. I think that fits. <laughs> I feel like it fits. Game on. All right, Greg Wilson, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, first question I always start with is, where are you from? I'm from Paris, Texas. Born and raised. Five generations, both sides of the family. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's crazy. For some reason, I thought that you might have not been. I don't know why I thought that. Went away for a little while. I did, I did that too after I graduated high school. Yeah. Okay, so born and raised here, what, what, in, like, through school and stuff, what was your thing? Like, what did you enjoy doing the most? Oh, I like outdoors. I like to hunt and fish and, and took as much of advantage of that as I could growing awesome. up and, and uh, camping and just being outside. Love to water ski and things like that. Awesome. Uh, in sports, I, I kind of got lucky and found a niche. I was a pole vaulter on the track team, and, and so that kind of worked for me. I was too small to play football, too slow, too weak. Were you good at pole vaulting? Uh, I guess on a relative basis. Yeah. Yeah, um, I tried pole vaulting in high school, but I was not good at it. I, I was really lucky in that I had an amazing coach, 450-pound okay. pole vault coach. Imagine that. Really? Um, he never pole vaulted, but, boy, he could coach. And I uh, had great pole vaulters ahead of me, and so it was just kind of a, a long line of uh, good jumpers that had a good coach, and it opened a lot of doors for me. Awesome, awesome. So you went through school. Um, what was like – nearing the end of high school like what was your plan like what where were you going I didn't know um I was looking at uh going to the University of Texas um I was talking to the Baylor track team okay. they had some amazing pole vaulters really amazing pole vaulters um and I was looking at Princeton and uh University of Pennsylvania and coach at University of Pennsylvania was a great guy I was really interested in jumping for him so mm -hmm. that's where I ended up awesome uh, so did you get like a scholarship to, to pole vault? No. Um, to my parents' chagrin, uh, Ivy League schools don't give athletic scholarships, oh. so they got to write a check. <laughs> um, but it was, it was worth it, I think. It was worth it. Yeah. That's awesome. So what did you go to school for? Well, I went to school to go to the Wharton School of Business, the okay. number one business school in the country. Awesome. My problem is my grades quite didn't get me there, so I ended up with a degree in archaeology, stones and bones. Really? I did. That's awesome. It I may have to talk to you about that. My, my son loves that kind of stuff. I, I did. Uh, it was the major that required the least number of core courses at the University of Pennsylvania. So I think I took five archaeology classes. Okay. Uh, the rest of my classes were business classes, and but I had to go on to a dig. And so there was a dig up at uh, Andy Faskin had a ranch up on the Red River at Kanoi, and they were doing a Caddo Mound dig. And okay. so I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'll be home for the summer. I'll go dig. And so I thought that was really cool until it's 105 degrees and you're digging in the dirt with a dental pick all day long every day. And I quickly decided this is not the Indiana Jones I saw on TV, so I need to do something different. That's fun. It was a little late to change my major. So, so you kept the major? I got a major in archaeology. And you, and you, and you 
So did you minor in business or did you just also do business classes? Just took business classes. Okay. So, and when you graduated from college, like what was the plan there? Oh, I didn't really have a plan. Um, I, I was going to do a semester abroad okay. and didn't really know where to go. And, and there was a, a sign in the wildlife biology department for, uh, to work on a ranch in Kenya. And I thought, yeah, that could be kind of cool. So Africa. I, yeah, right. Oh. And so I called the guy and, um, you know, he said, yeah, come on. You know, we got an opening for you. So I went to work on this ranch in Kenya. It was helping the researchers do research. And, and it was great experience. And I really wanted to come back, finish my degree. I had one semester left. I owed it to my parents to finish yeah. uh, and graduate. And then I was going to go straight back to Kenya. I loved it. And, and uh so when I was back, I had a fraternity brother of mine who was a year or two older than me. He had gone to work on Wall Street, and he came down to visit, and he wanted to hear all about Kenya because he was an avid outdoorsman, hunter. Yeah. And um, so he said, hey, man, what are you going to do after college? I said, I'm going back to Kenya. And he said, well, why don't you work for me on Wall Street for a year? You'll make enough money. You can buy a ranch in Africa. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. So you went from ranching in Kenya to working on Wall Street. That's yeah. like polar opposites. That's pretty opposite. That's awesome, though. And so, needless to say, I did not go back and go to work on work on a ranch in Africa. But I've, Jenny and I eloped and got married in Africa. Really? Four years later, yeah. That's awesome. Okay, we'll get there. I'm <laughs> sorry, for there. <laughs> I jumped no, around no, on you. No, I'm just excited. I want to get there now. <laughs> All right, so you went to Wall Street. What did you do in, on Wall Street? I was a stockbroker, which basically meant I was cold calling from 7 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night trying to sell people's stocks, bonds, mutual funds. So is that like what it seems like on TV? No, no, no. It was, I might as well have been selling insurance or Amway okay. or whatever. It was a million phone calls and cubicle, cubicle on a phone. On a phone. Okay. So stick a phone not anywhere. as cool as it looks like. It was not cool. <laughs> it was long hours. Uh, it, it was. Was yeah. it as lucrative as your friend was saying? No, it was not as lucrative as my friend was saying. Um, it was lucrative, but it's hard to make any money in New York mm. City. You can spend it fast. Yeah, it's expensive there. It's expensive. We were living in an attic in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey, that I was paying $900 a month. This was 1992 or whatever. And to get to work every day, it cost me 56 bucks round trip to go to work because I had to park my car at the train station, and that was $28. And then I had to take a, a train from... Hackensack to Hoboken and then I'd take the ferry over to Manhattan and then I'd take a $5 cab ride and eat a $12 Big Mac and it was hard to make a hard to make ends meet. It's like half of what you made probably in the yeah, day. Yeah, something like that. I'll, I'll, I, this side story, sorry, I don't mean to get on me, but I lived in Hawaii for a little bit and it was exactly the same way. I ended up buying a longboard because it was cheaper to buy a longboard and skate everywhere on the island than it was to get transit anywhere on the island. Right. Um, and just made me think of that story. Oops. Um, okay, so how long were you in New York for? We were there a year. Uh, Jenny was getting her MBA at Boston College. When did Jenny come in the picture? Okay, so we met in western New York okay. working uh, at a resort. Okay. Um, I had gotten a scholarship that was given by King's Daughters here in Paris to okay. spend the summer in western New York at Lake Chautauqua. And... 
uh, had a great summer, wanted to go back the next summer. My dad said, sure, you can go back if you can get a job. So I got a job as a bellhop at a hotel and worked there for a few summers. Okay. Um, Jenny got a job as a chambermaid at the same hotel. So she okay. was a chambermaid and I was a bellhop and we lived happily ever after. Where was, where is she from? She's originally was born in Chautauqua, New York. Okay. Um, she was a snowbird. Her, her dad was a free lance rider. So she spent her summers in Western New York and her winters in Sarasota, Florida. Okay. Okay, so y'all met there, and then y'all started dating during that time? Yes. We had kind of long distance. She was going to the University of Central Florida, and I was at Penn. And um, so then she got into Boston College Graduate School, and she would come down to New York on the weekends, and I'd go up to B.C. And so we managed to work it out. And when she was finishing up and uh, graduating from B.C., she said, I can't do New York. And I said, I can't do New York either. (laughs) (laughs) So we're sitting in a bar in uh, Hoboken, and it's 5 o'clock on Memorial Day weekend, and she says, where are we going to go? I said, I don't know. So I went out to the car and I pulled out an atlas. It was back before there was internet, you know. Yeah. So we had the atlas spread on the bar and we had two big glasses of Guinness. And she said, how about Phoenix? And I go, yeah, 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 let's, let's go to Phoenix. Okay. And so we start trying to figure out, can we get to Phoenix over Memorial Day weekend and get back to New York? And it was a little bit farther than we envisioned. So she said, okay, that won't work. What about Kansas City? I go, yeah, 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 let's go to Kansas City. So we paid our tab, went and got in the car and drove to Kansas City. Just on a whim. Yeah. And so we got there at like 6 o'clock at night that Saturday night, and we were so deliriously tired. I mean, we were just exhausted. And the only thing I knew about Kansas City is there was a steak called a Kansas City Strip. So I said, okay, well, I guess we'll go find a steakhouse. I don't remember the food. I just remember being so tired because we'd driven 24 hours straight. And we went back to the hotel and just totally crashed and got up the next morning, which would have been Sunday morning. And we're looking around downtown Kansas City on a Sunday morning, and we're like, wow, this place is lame. We don't want to live here. <laughs> it's, it's unfair to Kansas City because what place is cool at Sunday morning at 7 o'clock? No, but, but, you know, they didn't get a fair shake. Yeah. So she said, all right, how about Little Rock? I said, yeah, 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 let's go to Little Rock. So we get in the car, and we're driving to Little Rock, and I'm like, man, I'm not going to be able to make it back to New York in time for work on Tuesday. So we turned in uh, downtown, uh, we turned into Memphis. Okay. And they were having Memphis in May. The streets are blocked off. It's noon. You know, there's live music in the streets, beer everywhere. And we're like, yeah, we're moving to Memphis. So we went back and I quit my job and we packed our stuff and moved to Memphis. And that's how you got, that's how you found Memphis. That's how we found Memphis. Didn't know a soul there. God. Okay. So what, so you. You uprooted y'all, y'all's life in two separate places, and y'all moved to Memphis. And well, uprooting crazy. was a, a futon. <laughs> futon and a backpack, pretty much, in some, some suits. <laughs> uh, but that was an epic adventure to find your location. So what did y'all find jobs? Like, what was the, how, like, what happened? Yeah, that was also an adventure. Um, we got there. We were so broke. We didn't have any money because, you know, to get a U-Haul, it was really expensive because we were under 25. So it was like $3,000, which was all the money I had saved up working <laughs> New York so we got to Memphis and we were flat broke and uh, we were living on pizza and Budweiser and sending out resumes we'd go to Kinko's every day and Mm -hmm. run off some resumes and send those out to brokerage firms and trying to get a job at a brokerage firm and um, 
and I had to be a mess because we, we would drive her car because it, it got better gas mileage. We didn't have any money, and, and, but it was Memphis in the summertime, so it was hot. And so I would arrive at my interviews sweating through my suit, and I couldn't afford a haircut, so I had long hair that's matted to my head. It's a miracle anybody ever hired me. And uh, when I told the guy at Dean Witter, um, you know, he said, what's your story? And I told him, he goes, man, I don't know what your real story is, but he said, you'll make it as a stockbroker. <laughs> <laughs> so he hired me. So yeah, that was that was Memphis. That's awesome. Well, what Jenny up doing? End up doing? Uh, she originally got a job at Jostens, the class ring company that okay. makes the, those kind of things, and and uh, she was in their marketing department. Uh, absolutely hated it. So ultimately, um, she went to work for a bank uh, before I went to work for a bank. That's interesting. But um, she did that for a while, and then ended up as the PR public relations person for the Memphis Symphony. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So y'all were there. How long were y'all in Memphis for? Uh, two years. Two years. And uh, what, what's the journey? Where did you go? Oh, have y'all gotten married yet? We got married in Kenya when we were living in Memphis. Okay. We eloped, and that was fun. So did y'all just go by yourselves, or did family go with y'all no, to Kenya? No, just the two of us. Just the two of yeah. you. And did you still have friends in Kenya? No. No? And, and it was a different experience. I mean, when I, when I worked on a ranch in Kenya, I didn't have running water or electricity. I lived in a hut. It was very, very primitive. Okay. Uh, it was great for me. I loved it. But um, Jenny's idea of camping is the Marriott. So um, <laughs> it was a different trip when we went to, when we went to Kenya. We, we did it kind of the luxury and, safari style. So how, where did y'all get married in Kenya? Was there a uh, at the Mount Kenya Safari Club. Okay. Um, we were checking in when, uh, I'm trying to think who was checking out, Princess Diana or something. And Really? Yeah, we, we had a we had a wonderful time. We stayed at the Mount Kenya Safari Club that was founded in the 40s or something by a bunch of Hollywood movie stars who were making African movies over there. And it was very luxurious. And uh, I needed a best man, so I bribed this guy with a Coke to be my best man. And um, You bribed a man with a Coke to be your best man? Yeah, I don't think he spoke English, but he, he had a big smile, so we had a good time. Do you remember his name at all? No. Is he in any pictures? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got tons of pictures of him. Oh, man. That's and awesome. I think his wife stood in as Jenny's flower, flower girl. girl. Yeah. That's awesome. That's crazy. We, we're not totally convinced we're really married. <laughs> but, you know, we got a piece of paper that says something to that effect, so we're going to fake it. <laughs> but I've never heard a, a more adventurous, like, story than that on getting, getting married. That's amazing. Yeah, we had a good time. Okay, so you're married. You're, you're, uh, you're about to leave Memphis. Where do y'all go? We went to Chicago. Okay. Um... So I was, when I was working for Dean Witter, it was the same Mm -hmm. as when I was in New York. Hi, this is Greg. You want to buy a bond? Um, Called this guy and he said, well, I don't want to buy any of your stupid mutual funds, but if you trade options, I'll be up there to open an account with you tomorrow. And I didn't know what an option was and I didn't have enough money to buy a book at Barnes and Noble. So I just went and sat in the floor at Barnes and Noble and read everything I could read about options so that I could at least fake it the next day when the guy came into my office. And I guess I did okay because I convinced him, you know, to open his account with me. And, and so uh, he knew a lot about options. And so I learned options trading mm-hmm. from this guy who he didn't want my advice. He just wanted me to enter the orders. But he then in, introduced me to more and more people. And the next thing you know, I, I probably was the largest option broker in Memphis. Um, and they, at the time, I knew there was a shift in, in um, the way brokerage firms worked, that instead of a commission on a trade, 
they'd, you'd pay a fee, a percentage fee, and you could trade unlimited, and that mm. wasn't going to work for my pocketbook at all. Um, in the meantime, my big brother in the fraternity and one of my best friends was a commodity trader at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. He traded Euro dollars. Mm-hmm. And um, so he said, man, instead of doing it for somebody else, you need to come to Chicago and trade for yourself. So Jenny and I wrote, tripped up to Chicago. And as it turns out, I had a whole bunch of friends in Chicago who were traders. I didn't know this at the time, but ideally what they were looking for back in those days for a trader in the trading pits was a Ivy League football player. Mm-hmm. They wanted somebody who was big, smart, could make fast decisions, and um, highly competitive. And even though I wasn't a football player, everybody in my fraternity except me was a football player. So all these guys got recruited and ended up trading in the pits in Chicago, and it opened the door for me to be able to trade. And so uh, I started at the Chicago Board Options Exchange as a trader. And then in 1997, the Dow Jones Industrial Average Futures and Options contract were created at the Chicago Board of Trade. So I moved over to the Chicago Board of Trade and was a member there and traded on the trading floor for there. Was this something you were good at? Um, the statistics in trading on the trading floor is that 95% of the people don't survive the first six months. Okay. And of the people that f- survive the first six months, 95% of those people don't survive the first year. Um, and I, I had a good run. I was probably there eight or nine years. So you were good at it. <laughs> I, I, made, I paid the bills. You paid the bills. <laughs> uh, did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. Um, It sounds like it's up your alley. Yeah, it it doesn't really exist anymore. It doesn't? Um, It's it's all done on computers now. You know, I was there at the end of a 150-year-old tradition, and and it was neat. I was there when there was the floor on the paper on the floor at the end of the day would be knee-deep, you know, and and everything was was loud and fast and furious. And it's kind of sad to see that gone. That sounds like stuff I see in movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so eight years of that um, in Chicago, right? And then where where did you go? Like, what was the next step? Uh, then we moved home. Um, we had been home. Let's see. Garrett was two. We had come home for Garrett's second birthday. My mom mm. and dad threw an amazing Wizard of Oz party for him here at the house. And so we came home and, and we're staying with mom and dad and we had had all the family that we could stand for a while. So we got out and went for a walk around the neighborhood and uh, we saw this house that my grandfather had actually built. He was a builder here um, and built for a doctor, beautiful house. And I knew the girls that grew up there and it was for sale. And I was like, wow, man, I love that house, you know? And, and Jenny's like, yeah, how much is that house? I'm like, I don't know, but in Chicago, that thing would be like $3 million, you know? And uh, when we got home, Jenny asked my mom, said, how much is that house? And they, she said, well, I think it's like $200,000, but it's been on the market a long time, so you can probably get a deal. And Jenny's like, buy it, buy it, buy it. <laughs> so we ended up buying a house in Paris, and we were going to fix it and flip it. Mm-hmm. And um, in the meantime, we started talking about it, and should we move to Paris? What are we going to do? And Jenny said, well, maybe if we just put out a sign in front of our house and try to sell our house by owner, you know, maybe we can make some money. And so I she put a sign and a balloon in front of our townhouse and we sold it like an hour later (laughs) and the guy goes yeah you got to get out and so um we moved to texas and and remodeled a house and had no intention of i mean staying very long and that's now been 19 years in the same house yeah really yeah that's amazing so okay coming back into paris i mean you were from here did you still have circles friends like 
a community or not really at that point i'd been gone um 14 years i guess okay. 14 or 15 years and my friends scattered to the winds my class at paris high was fairly unique i mean i had friends who went all over the country to go to school and mm-hmm. so no it was uh it, i had a lot of acquaintances and and we kind of fit right in really quick and we had little kids and there was other people with little kids and so that became kind of the nucleus of the people we were around and Mm -hmm. and my cousins were here and so I was spending time with them so it's a lot of family but so how did y'all what did you do to go about like building a friend circle um well first thing we did Jenny's an introvert she does a great job of faking it but she's she's a pretty extreme introvert and we talked about living out in the country. Mm-hmm. I would have loved it. I, I grew up in town, but I would have loved to live in the country. And we thought long and hard about it, but we decided, you know, living in town was the single best thing we could do mm-hmm. um, to be around other people. And so again, you know, having two kids at the time, we now have three, but at the time we had two kids, we got to know their, the, their friends' parents mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, the people that were in day school together and preschool yeah. and all that. And so that, that formed the nucleus of our friends. It, still to this day, we're still really close to a lot of those. We raised our kids together. That's awesome, man. So what, so what jobs did y'all step into coming back into Paris? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've got the most screwed up resume of any one human being in the world. It's a miracle anybody would hire me. Um, I tried to trade when I, when I came back home, I tried to do it on a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot different mm-hmm. than trading on the trading floor. Um, there's a lot of information that I guess you glean in the elevator or in the restroom or at the restaurants where all the traders are eating that you lose that connectivity when you're mm-hmm. in Paris. And so I did not do well in, in trading, uh, here in Paris. And so um, I, I opened a, an office of a mortgage company. Um, so I started doing some mortgages. At the time, I had friends who were looking to refinance. I got my real estate license. My dad and I, um, we bought the Gibraltar Hotel, and we were going to renovate it. I didn't Turn know it that. into condos. It was crumbling, falling down mess. All the windows were broken out of it. So we put all the windows back in the Gibraltar. Really? We pointed the exterior of the building. I got my realtor's license so I could sell condos in the, in the Gibraltar. Um, we never made it that far, but I got to know all the realtors because the realtors here uh-huh. tend to get together on Thursday mornings for their tour of homes, and they eat breakfast at Hole in the Wall, and I, my office was downtown, and I wanted to eat at Hole in the Wall, so <laughs> worked out pretty good. But, That's awesome. So. I did not know that about like the Gibraltar. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, Mom and Dad did a lot of um, restoration. They bought the Maxi House and restored that, and they bought uh, the depot down on um, Church Street okay. and they restored that. And they bought some houses and brought those back. And so that was that was really what their focus was at that time. We need like ten more of them. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so uh, you're kind of hopping around a little bit, working on the Gibraltar. Got your real estate license. Did you dip more into real estate stuff? Yes and no. Um, you know, I, I, I did broker deals that just mm-hmm. came along. Um, and in the meantime, um, dad, having sold his business here, um, was an extreme entrepreneur. My dad loves to invest in things. He loves to buy businesses. He loves mm-hmm. to turn around businesses. And so 
he was going through a phase in his life where anybody who wanted to do a deal would come pitch it to my dad and say, hey, what do you think about this? Are you interested in investing mm-hmm. in this? And so dad deflected a lot of that stuff to me and um, to give himself a break, but also to give me some opportunities and introduce me to some people. And mm-hmm. so I was doing some venture capital and private equity, looking at buying some businesses, um, looking to raise capital for other people who were building businesses. Um, so I did that for a while that, that then led into one of the most disastrous parts of my life. Um, we looked at a, a manufacturing company, building a, a startup manufacturing company. And it went horribly awry. Uh, we, we lost a lot of money in that deal. And so it, it, it uh, was a humbling experience for sure. Up until that point, uh, I think dad and I both had been fairly lucky mm-hmm. uh, in, in the things that we had been involved in up to that point. And so it was a, a lot of lessons learned there. Did, so was your dad part of that? Did he learn a lot from that too? <laughs> he learned you can lose a lot of money real fast. <laughs> yes, he was, he was very much a part of it. And, you know, it was, it was a very hard, challenging time for us. Um, a lot, there was a lot of local investors mm-hmm. in, in the deal. Um, and so that was, you know, everybody was so kind to us. And we had it set up where our investors got 100% of, our, of their money back mm-hmm. uh, before we would ever get one single penny. So it was set up in as fair a way as we could possibly set it up. And they knew that we had, you know, taken it completely on the chin. And so everybody was supportive. But it was, it was a hard time. But I, I would not trade for the amount of time I got to spend with my dad one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's, he's one of my heroes. And, mm-hmm. and so to get to spend that time with him, and, he, and despite how that, it, we just had a series of way unfortunate events that the, the stars just kept, not being a line for us. Sounds like but, he taught you a lot, but too. I, yeah, I mean, I learned a tremendous amount for it. Learned a lot about integrity, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, instead of, you know, I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to do the right thing, but you got to always do the right thing. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I think about those things with my kiddos. They're, I've got 11, uh, 9, and a 3-year-old, <laughs> and that's, it's hard to think about sometimes, but it's awesome. Um, okay, so wh- like, what's the next? Where where are we going at? So during the during the time with the manufacturing company, there was a lawsuit that happened because a piece of machinery that that we bought mm-hmm. exploded. Didn't hurt anybody or kill anybody, but had a very big financial impact that ended up in a lawsuit. And so we were we were basically shut down for almost a year dealing with that. And so I was looking at other things to get involved with. And I decided to make a website to rent apartments here in Paris or Mm -hmm. rent houses or whatever, because there was no, there was no way to figure out what was for rent. And so I created this website. I think it was called Paris, Texas rentals. Okay. And so I went around to these landlords and I'd get them to like, let me put their pictures on there. And, and, and I think it was probably a little bit ahead of its time. But it got me interested in web commerce, mm-hmm. and so um, at that time, I was my office was actually directly across the street, and Gary Brown was downtown and, in, mm-hmm. and active downtown, and he was my landlord. So one day, he, he and I just happened to run into each other, and he said, hey, man, I bought this uh, web domain. I said, what did you buy? He said, I bought The Paris, Texas. I said, that's crazy, because I just bought E Paris, Texas. And he goes, man, we got to do something with that. And I said, yeah, we got to do something with that. 
We didn't. Um, but a guy came in, and, and at the time, Gary owned Reap's Furniture. Yeah. And so this guy, web designer, James Wallace, came in and told Gary, he said, hey, um, I'd like to trade you some web design work. I'll make you a website for Reap's Furniture if you could give me some office space. And Gary said, done. He said, not only that, I'll furnish it for you, but I want basically unlimited web design work. And so James said, sure, deal. So Gary came back into my office and he goes, hey, I got this web designer who'll do all the web design we want for free, and let's, let's use one of those domains, and I like eParis better than the Paris. Okay. So, okay, so we launched eParisTexas.com. And at the time, it was a, conceptually it was a great idea when we started it. Mm-hmm. This was at an age of the, the internet where Google didn't quite have it figured out yet, mm-hmm. where if you put in Paris, Texas florist, you were going to get Paris Hilton, Paris, France, porn, who knows? I mean, you yeah. know, but it, you weren't going to get a list of florists in Paris, Texas. Right. And so we thought that there was a real opportunity there. And so we launched this basically digital yellow pages, for lack of a better word. Right. Um, but it took us so long to really get it the way we wanted it to launch that by the time we got it launched, Google had figured out how to do hyperlocal. And so, you know, our value proposition was not that great. Um, and one day I had this lady call me who had been on our website and she said, I want you to post my picture on the website. And I said, okay. And she said, well, I just won the turkey trot or some race or whatever. And she mm-hmm. goes, and the Paris News wouldn't take my picture. <laughs> and I want you to put it on, on eParis. We didn't even have anywhere to post a picture. So we quickly cobbled this thing that called the Extra page, and we put it on there. And that became eParis Extra. Okay. So we started, like, posting stuff. And there was a big snowstorm coming. So we said, hey, send us your snow pictures. And I ran down to Swaim's Hardware and I bought all the sleds they had. And that's the only place you could buy a sled in Paris, Texas. So I bought all the sleds and said, if you'll send us your pictures, you know, we'll give you a sled. And we went out and delivered sleds in the snowstorm because people were sending us all these cool pictures. Um, So we thought, well, people are looking at this, you know, so we kept trying to find content to put on there. And at the time, Charles Richards had left the Paris News. He had been covering city council. And he called me and he said, hey, I saw your extra page. Can I write some stuff for it? And I said, sure, why not? And then I thought, but this guy's a 40-year AP journalist. I got to have something better than this. So we mocked up an online newspaper, got a template or something. I can't remember what we did, but we mocked up a newspaper so at least it looked reasonable that Charles Richards was posting it on something halfway decent and the timing was good. There was a lot of chaos going on in city council and people were following him. And then we just kind of kept building on it. And next thing I know, we're at a million hits and then 5 million hits. And, and at the time there was nothing else in Paris like that. Like no, even the news, newspaper wasn't doing online the, stuff. No. And we cut, I mean, you talk about catching breaks um, right after we launched that Paris news decided that they wanted to put up a paywall that you can't read their articles unless you pay them. Mm-hmm. And we were free and we had their writer. And so the next thing you know, I mean, our hits just went through Skyrocket. the roof and, and everybody was selling us because they were mad about the paywall. Yeah. So it, it worked out great. That's awesome. It was a, it was a, that was an interesting adventure for me. I don't That's know anything awesome. about journalism or advertising or, I mean, we just totally were flying by the seat of our pants, but it worked. 
That's crazy that the stars align like that for for that to come together. Um, and what was Jenny doing at this time? Uh, Jenny was raising our kids. Raising us all. Yeah. Um, she ran the Grant Park Music Festival, which was a, a symphony in Chicago, mm-hmm. ran their PR and marketing until we had kids. And then she decided she wanted to raise kids. That's and awesome. She was able to do that until they got big enough that they didn't want to hang out with her anymore, and she went and got a job. Okay, you've got three, right? I do. What, what are their names and ages? So Shelby is 23. Okay. Um, she graduated from Middlebury College and is living in Boston, working for a law firm, and she wants to take the LSATs and go to law school. Awesome. So I'm super, super proud of her. Um, my oldest son, Garrett, is a senior at SMU. He's a film major. Um, loves making films, loves making all kinds of art. He's a, such an incredibly talented artist. Um, awesome. We did a, a uh, art opening for him at the Loft. God, now it's probably been five or six years ago, but he did spray paint art on mm-hmm. big pieces of four-by-four four sheetrock and four-by-four four plywood, and, and it was neat to, to see him display all of his, his work there. That's so awesome. He's, he's fun to watch his these things that he does. That's cool. And then my youngest is 17. Um, he's at Paris High School. He's a junior. He's trying to figure out where he wants to go to college, leaning very hard at uh, University of Colorado Boulder. And okay. so when we were talking about Colorado earlier. I've been there. Like, yeah. It's hard um, not to like UC Boulder. Uh, so Kimmy's uncle, he, he's retired now, but he was a professor there for, for a long time. Um, what so a beautiful cool. place. Yeah. And he had some pretty co-ed given the tour who told him that he, like, she could, he could catch a bus to the ski slopes and be there by noon. He's yeah. like, yeah, this place could be cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so. That's awesome. Okay. <clears throat> and then, okay, so I don't know if the listeners know this, but your wife has actually been on the podcast. That's what you told me. Um, and she told her story. And so that she ended up, now that the kids are older, she ended up at uh, – is is that her first job she got back at United, United Way? United Way, yeah. Okay. Um, which my my youngest or my oldest, I'm sorry, my oldest did a tour of of their thing, and we actually partnered with them and did a whole bunch of their organizations, and we right. went and made YouTube videos, and it was really cool. And actually, Liam, sorry, uh, Rabbit Trail, Liam's done some videos for uh, the bank, which we haven't got to yet, but for you guys as well. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, okay, bank. How did bank. so? When did when did Lamar National come into the picture? So, um, so I had a partner in E Paris. Uh, Gary Brown sold his ownership to Dan Smith. Dan Smith. Okay. Dan was the first plant manager of Kimberly Clark here mm-hmm. in Paris. Um, he's the one who came and built and opened the plant, and then later he came back and ran the plant, and then he became uh, the head of of uh, Scott paper towels mm-hmm. in Europe. And then he was in Kimberly Clark in the middle East. And then he came back as the president of Kimberly Clark in Nina, Wisconsin for North American family products or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. basically the very top of Kimberly Clark, but he wasn't going to be the CEO. Their CEO is very, very renowned, well-known guy. And, and so Dan decided he would retire uh, he built a house in Biloxi, Mississippi, or bought a house in Biloxi, Mississippi, and it got just totally demolished by the hurricane. Mm-hmm. So he didn't know where he was going to move. And um, he and he, he had talked to us about this venture we were doing, uh, this manufacturing plant, and so he was going to help us with that. And when that fell apart, 
Um, he had moved back home because he had a lot of friends here, moved back to Paris. I mean, had a lot of friends here. And he told me one day, he said, hey, I want to invest in eParis. And I didn't really need an investor, but Dan's a great guy and um, very high profile and somebody mm-hmm. that I, and he had nearly lost his shirt in our other venture. So it'd be hard for me to say no. So Dan and I had eParis, but Dan doesn't really, he's not a computer guy, mm-hmm. but he's a great cheerleader. And he thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And we were going to sell it for a whole bunch of money. And, and so finally I, I felt, I thought we had an offer, a legitimate offer um, to sell eParis. Mm-hmm. Word got out that I was selling eParis and um, Mike Rhodes and Dick Severson, the, the CEO and the EVP at Lamar wanted to retire. Their, their best friends travel together, work mm-hmm. together, basically been co-CEOs for decades and they didn't have a succession plan. Um, so they brought me in and said, hey, we understand you sold your business. You're interested in potentially being a succession plan for us. And I said, well, I think I'm out of a job. So yeah, this is, <laughs> timing couldn't be better, buddy. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm, everything was serendipitous about that because mm-hmm. again, when I look at my resume, you know, trading has no value. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, at least pit trading doesn't exist anymore. And I tried, I dabbled in real estate and I dabbled in real estate development and dabbled in venture capital and dabbled in mortgage business and dabbled in manufacturing. When you put it down on paper, it's just a mess. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a hot mess of a resume, but within the first two weeks of working for a bank, I was like, oh, wow. I understand interest rates. Mm-hmm. I understand real estate. I understand mortgages. I know how to run a business. I've, you know, a business is a business is a business. And so I've run multiple businesses. And it turned out that it just was one of those things where I didn't even know all this stuff ended up being a perfect background for like understanding banking. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's how I ended up at Lamar. So. I'm trying to think of how to ask this. So was that your, what was your first business that you owned that you had a lot of employees underneath you? Well, compared to Lamar, I mean, I, I was running a bunch of traders in Chicago that worked for me. But nothing like compared to Lamar? No. So something that like see, like stands out to me is like how well your team works together. Is that something you learned from like your dad? Like how did that come about? Necessity. Um... I was the newest guy in banking. So because I knew the least about banking, I knew I better surround myself with really good people mm-hmm. and then depend on them, count on them, trust them, enable them, um, and get out of their way. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, I mean, that wasn't a hard lesson to learn or figure out. I knew that I needed people around me that knew way more about banking than mm-hmm. I did. And so I've been very, very blessed to assemble a team that I, I think is second to none Mm -hmm. i I don't think that there's banks our size in the state of texas that have put together the the caliber of team that we've Mm -hmm. assembled that's awesome and you you came in with a lot of ambition and growth and and actually i i don't think i did um I, i came in to learn banking they didn't have a training program this the senior management team at lamar had been together since i think 1984 so they they could finish each other's sentences but to a degree, they were kind of siloed, too, because they knew what they were responsible for. They did it every day, and nobody else kind of really knew what it, 
each other did. They just knew that it was all getting done every day. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't have a training program. So they said, well, we'll just put you in every department for a month. So I was a teller and I was a loan secretary and I was in the note department and changed the light bulbs and, you know, whatever. I just did everything that I could learn. And then they, they sent me to SMU's Graduate School of Banking. I'm so blessed that Southwest Graduate School of Banking is the premier banking school in the country. It is the best graduate banking school you can imagine. Mm -hmm. If it was the worst, I still would have gone to it because it was in Dallas. And so (laughs) so they they were sending it to me. So I I went to the first time in school, as you can probably guess, uh, with my archaeology degree, um, academics was not my real strong suit. But that being said, this time around, I was front row Joe. I went in there and I sat mm-hmm. on the front row and I, I would ask questions. I was trying to figure out how to run a bank. And, and how I, old were you at this time? Uh, 43 maybe. 43 and back in school. 43 and back in school. Oh. And all these bankers were like loving it. They were going out every night having a big time. And I would go back up to my room after classes were over and like I listened to the lectures again and I'd read my notes. And because I mean, I knew that Sparky and Dick were going to retire mm-hmm. and they were going to hand me the keys and say, good luck. And I'm like, I got to know how to run a bank. So I was taking these notes mm-hmm. and so obsessed about how to run a bank. And I would say mm-hmm. that, you know, I just went back and did everything they told me to mm-hmm. do. Um, it worked out great. It was That's a awesome. fantastic experience. That's awesome. Well, I think it's cool. Okay. I got a couple questions. This is kind of wrapping up questions. Cool. Um, First question, if you could pick a place, any place in Paris, Texas, it can be anything. It can be food. It can be a, a, tr- a favorite tree. What would be your favorite place to go to in Paris, Texas? Hmm, that is a good one. Well, I've, I've got um, a small 35-acre track just on 79, right on the mm-hmm. edge of town. Um, it's deep woods, and it's where I like to go get away. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a little clearing where I like to sit in the bend of a creek and uh and hang out and so that's that's my spot now that's not a public spot if you want to know well i won't i won't tell anyone (laughs) okay (laughs) um no that that's pretty special to me i i also the rooftop of the gibraltar i I, i've always been an early bird and so i would always get to work before all the workers Mm -hmm. did and to go up and watch the sunrise off the top of the gibraltar was magnificent this day and age with drones, I've got to see that that angle That's without true. actually having to climb to the rooftop. Yeah, because it's seven stories. And yep. it's a whip. I bet. I bet. That's awesome. Um, that's so much. There's so much. I don't know. There, there's so much adventure in your story. I love it. I I I feel like I have more questions, but I don't have any more questions. <laughs> awesome. Um, thank you so much for being on my podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure. It, it was really cool. I appreciate you making me feel comfortable. Yeah, I, it was. It was a great. It was a great story, and, and I enjoyed it. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, guys. Thank again. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by South Main Iron. If you have not had a chance to go check those guys out downtown Paris, Texas, go check them out. And thank you guys so much for sponsoring this podcast.